What do you think of that, huh? Da, da, da. I recorded that in my office, the uh, flute part and stuff. Y'all didn't know that I played different instruments. I uh, got that talent. Well, as you can tell, we got first off, first off, first off, to Roth Clayton. I think that deserves a shoot that thing. Amen. I love the words of that song. And I do know this. I can verify that God is doing something in Roth's life. It's really cool. And I'm very grateful for that. So shoot that thing, Roth. Shoot it. All right, very good. And we start a new series today entitled favorite things. And what we did was, I asked you several weeks ago, if you had a favorite scripture to email, text, hand it to me, do something. And a lot of you guys did. And, and so what I did was I went through and on the preaching schedule, as God gives me permission, um, we scheduled different scriptures for the next, all the way through March the 4th, I think it is. And um, those are the scriptures that you gave. And I need to tell you this, that involves some Sunday morning, well, all the Sunday mornings. It involves most of the Sunday nights and involves the Wednesday nights. So if you want to hear your scripture, you better come to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night because it might be your turn. And uh, tonight I know we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I was going to be chapter 1 verses 1 through 11, talking about the God of comfort. And I I'm pretty sure, well, actually, we have an option on Wednesday night. Uh, Dave is going to a missions conference um, dealing with the ministry of, of Matt and Beth. And so possibly he'll be doing a report and telling us what he learned there. If that doesn't happen, I think we're in Psalm 46, verses 1 through 10, talking about God being our refuge. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about the opportunity always to teach the Word of God. And, uh, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And this particular scripture uh, came from my friend Jeremy Bennett. And I'll be telling you, by the way, each week who submitted the scripture. And uh, this one came from Jeremy Bennett and deals with compassion. And what, in fact, the sermon title is Compassion, which is love in action. I really, I really pray we'll hear and listen. This is just so appropriate. God's timing is always perfect. Um, this, was, this was scheduled long before this week. Um, I, you know, I, I picked this scripture for this, this week. And then things happen that make it so very, very appropriate. So I pray, you know, friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ear today because I honestly believe that this is a very important message on compassion. So anyway, so it kind of started like this. Um, last Sunday, we were pleased to have Brother Frank Clore uh, in church as most weeks. And, of course, his wife, Marquita, is unable to come because of health. And she always listens on the radio um, at home. And Frank got home and was taking her to another part of the house. And um, we, I think her leg just gave way. Um, she has some pretty weak bones. And we're pretty sure that she fell or her bone just collapsed. And, um, as you know, her health is so poor. And she suffered so much with this Parkinson's thing. It's very difficult. And so um, she found herself in the hospital in the emergency room with a broken leg. And up here, almost a broken hip. They were able to put a rod in and pin it, and we're grateful for that. So, so that started out the week. And then uh, Monday or Tuesday, a dear friend, Peggy Jones, was in the garage. And, and thank God it was not something more serious, but she did turn around quickly, lost her balance, and broke her wrist. And, well, it's this one, the one she rides with. And uh, that's more than an inconvenience. Again, it's just a difficult thing. And, um, and then we woke up Wednesday morning. And uh, boy, uh, T.A. texted me about 6 o'clock in the morning and said, if you're up, call me. Well, that's unusual for T.A. And so I did call immediately, and he shared with me about the fire. 
and about the Peacock family and the twins and their mother perishing in this fire. And it was just and is devastating. Devastating. So then we start working through that and um, then we get a call from Judy Brazier Friday morning and her son Steve Reynolds. Um, Steve's been sick for about 10 years with, with uh, this illness and he just got weaker and weaker and all of a sudden he got sick this week and they're not sure exactly what happened but Steve passed away about 1 o'clock Friday morning and this is Stephanie Church's uh, brother also. So it's been a difficult week. Dave said that. It's been a hard week. And, and those are the times when this message is so appropriate, a message about compassion. Frankly, as a pastor, I don't mind sharing with you. I said it tongue-in-cheek, but I kind of halfway meant it. You know, these are times when I really feel the need to be a PR man for God. Because it's weeks like this that, that people go, what was God thinking? How could a good God allow this to happen? And I just feel like I need to step up and try to defend God. But guess what? God doesn't need a defense. He's sovereign. He's got a plan that we don't often understand. And he doesn't ask us to understand. He asks us to trust him. I don't think I'm alone in the boat because I am pretty certain. And this happens to be in Matthew chapter 9 also. I'm pretty certain, you know, when Jesus walked up to the table and there sat the, the biggest sinner in town, Matthew the tax collector, and he walks up and says to Matthew... Follow me. And I know I can just see Peter going, Oh boy, this, I need to do some damage control here. I can just see Peter's brain whirling, the gears whirling. Jesus, this is one guy you don't want to call because he's a really big sinner. It's going to be bad for your image and it's going to be bad for our image. Well, Peter was wrong. Matthew went ahead and was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, well, he wrote the book that we're going to be studying from today. And, you know, it also, it's so funny because right after that scripture, you know, where Matthew's called, you know, and Jesus said, you know, it's not that, well, people need a physician. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. And then he says this. He says this. He says, you know, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I am certain what Jesus is saying. You need to learn this. That more important than religious ritual and you know this thing that we do is this thing called mercy. This thing called compassion. Compassion. So when Jeremy sent me the scripture, Matthew chapter 9, and dealing with these scriptures we're going to look at today, he wrote these words. He said, A worker without compassion is useless when it comes to building the kingdom. That may sound harsh. I don't think it is. That's how important compassion is. A worker without compassion is useless when it comes to building the kingdom. And I responded and said this, Yes, And compassion is useless unless it is worked. Compassion is useless unless it's worked. In other words, a worker in the kingdom without compassion, man, that didn't work. 
But if we, have, if we say we have compassion, but it doesn't flesh out in activity, in action, that's useless too. I wrote down and said, you know, I, I did three things, you know, and it's, it's just right. You know, it, well, let me tell you a story that I told you a long time ago, and you probably don't remember, but it really is true. You know, one of those nights at home when, when you're wanting something sweet, you know, me and sweets are like married, okay? And so, so a long time ago, I went into the pantry, and, and my eyes spied a brownie mix box. And I said, ah, brownies. That, boy, that will satisfy your sweet tooth. It's sweet and chocolate. Can't beat that. So I go, into the, you know, I go out of the pantry into the kitchen, and it didn't require much. It required some water. It required some oil. And it required some eggs. And so I go, you know, and open the refrigerator. Well, first I go to the pantry, get the oil, check. I knew we had paid our water bill, so I knew we had water, check. And then I went to the refrigerator, and we don't use eggs. We use that egg beater, the fake egg stuff, you know. And so I looked and poked around the milk carton and the bottle of ketchup and all that, and uh, no eggs. So I said, hmm. So I went in there, and Judy was sitting in the living room. I said, hey, can I make this without eggs? No. I said, why not? I said, it won't work. I said, what do you know? <laughs> so I made it without eggs. I even went on the Internet and tried to find a substitute for eggs. And I don't remember what that substitute was, but whatever it was, well, it didn't work. I put them suckers in the oven, you know, 350 degrees for 20 minutes, whatever it's supposed to be. And whatever came out wasn't brownies. I, it more looked like the creature from the Black Lagoon. I remember I pulled it out, and it was this thick chocolate goo with puddles of oil on top. And I learned something, that eggs are not an accessory to brownies. Eggs are essential. Let me tell you something else I'm learning in my life. That compassion... It's not an accessory to the Christian life. It's an essential ingredient. See, church, if you take, you know, if you take church and remove compassion, it becomes, I like what Roth said, some kind of country club, religious country club. Whatever it is, it doesn't, it's not the church as God describes the church. You know, there's a big movement today about knowledge and doctrine of the Word of God. But if you take knowledge and doctrine and remove compassion, it becomes a great educational experience. But it doesn't become what God wants us to be. And obedience, you know, if you take obedience, I believe you ought to obey the Word of God. Dwayne. Think you ought to obey the Word of God. And I can only say amen. But if you take that obedience and remove compassion, it becomes a super form of legalism. Compassion is not optional in the church, in our lives. It is essential. Essential. So what we want to do is, we want to look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We're going to look at that scripture. Then we're going to look at James chapter 2 and see what Jesus' brother said about it. And then, and then we're going to go, go back and hit what Jesus helped, how he displayed uh, compassion in a couple of situations. And hopefully we'll end up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 with this mandate that he gives us about compassion. Again, this is just like so crucial in today's world. So, so in Matthew chapter 9, in verse number 35, here's, here's how it plays out. So Jesus continued going around 
to all the towns and villages. Now, don't miss this. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages. You see, Jesus was always on the move. And he was always on the move with his eye on compassion. When he went to a village, he was there to make a difference in the lives of people. And often that involved healing. Often that involved feeding people with no food. Because Jesus, I, was on compassion. You might say that compassion is motion. Compassion is never stagnant. It's not, compassion is never stagnant in the church. Compassion is never stagnant in our lives. You know, compassion demands motion. So we see Jesus in motion going to towns and villages. And what we see that follows here in, in verse number 35 is something that Matthew also records in 423, in chapter 4, verse 23. It's like Jesus' mantra, and it certainly should be ours. Here's what it says. So Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. That's how Jesus did life. And Jesus didn't like have life and have ministry. He knew they were wed together, just like it should be in our lives. There's not a secular world and a spiritual world. They are together. They are together. So Jesus went to the synagogues. Why did he go to synagogues? And as you can probably guess, teaching and preaching are wed very close together. But there is a difference. When Jesus went to the synagogues, and one of the scriptures we're going to talk about in a few weeks, you know, makes this clear. When he went to the synagogues, it was a process of preparation. He was preparing those people to receive the gospel of the good news. Often he was explaining who he was. Often he was challenging the religious elite of that day. He went there to make a difference and prepare hearts to receive the good news. And I'm hoping that's what we're doing today. I hope that we're preparing our hearts to really understand the heart of Jesus and compassion. But he didn't stop there. He, after he left the synagogues, he ran around and he went preaching the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the news that can change everything. Now, I want, I want to pause and say something. You know, again, people say frequently, why, is the, why does God allow all this evil in the world? Well, I thought about that, and I don't have an answer. He's God and I'm not. I'm figuring that out. But I will say this. Do you remember a long time ago? Well, you don't remember, but you've read a long time ago that the world was so evil. Do you remember what God did? He wiped out the world. He sent a flood on the earth and killed all but eight people. And they still managed to mess it up. The reason God, God, the only way God can make a, you know, would change the world is to kill everybody. But instead, he sent his son Jesus and changed the world through the gospel. People think, well, God could stop this person and that person. And he could. He could like, do, 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 do. But the bottom line is we're all broken. The whole world is broken. And that's why this gospel of the kingdom that does an invitation for every man, every woman, every child, white, black, yellow, green, every person to be changed by the power of the gospel. That's why his way is the best way. 
That's why we've got to be a compassionate people because people are not interested in our religion, but they are drawn by our compassionate hearts. And what changes this life? Think of the, think of the change. Think of a tragedy in your life. And if that person knew Christ, how that changes the outcome. How that changes it. How many times have I stood at funerals and at gravesides and said, because the person knew Jesus, today is different. Today is different. And Christ has the power through his gospel, through the implementation of the gospel in the person's life, to change outcomes. So he taught, he preached, and he healed. He healed. In fact, it says he healed every disease and every sickness. Now, to be clear and to be honest, he didn't, clear, he didn't heal every disease and every sickness. He healed every kind of disease and every kind of illness. Not every person that Jesus encountered was healed. But what Matthew is saying here is there is nothing. When he said, when he said healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, he's saying there is nothing outside the realm of the possibility with Jesus Christ. Now, you take that home. You, don't, you, don't you be like your pastor when tragedy comes and feel this strange urge to somehow apologize for your God because your God is so big, he doesn't need someone to apologize for him. But he came. And he was not afraid of any illness or any sickness because he was stronger. And he's still stronger. He's still stronger. Jesus today can change the outcome of every disease and every sickness. It may be here or it may be there. But by grace, if the person is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the outcome is changed. Death is changed. Sickness is changed. Poverty is changed. Uh, tragedy is changed. If that person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why we've got to be compassionate. That's why we've got to get the good news outside these walls to a world that is hurting and they don't need to hear of religion. They need to hear of a Savior who loved them and died for them and who cares about them. That's what they need to hear. He came and he, he, he healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And he just needs to know something. It's risky. It's risky. It was risky for Jesus. Ultimately, they, now granted it was the plan of God, but ultimately his ministry caused him to be nailed to a cross. And whenever we reach out and touch the lives of people outside of our comfort zones, yeah, it's risky. Maybe it be taken advantage of, maybe mocked and scorned, maybe disowned by some people. Ministry is risky, but ministry is the way of Jesus. So, so let me give you a quick list of what compassion is. First off, compassion is love in action. Compassion is love in action. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, just read 1 Corinthians 13. If you look at the Word of God, you don't see the word love and stagnant. You don't see the word love and stagnant. You see love and action. And that's compassion. Love is always touching, always moving, always reaching out. Biblical love. Compassion is love in action. Compassion is ministry in motion. You want to know why so many churches you know, that are stagnant are dying? Because stagnation kills. 
You want to know why it's essential that Doorsville Baptist Church keeps his vision, uh, keeps her vision of reaching out and touching uh, the lives of people? Because when we reach out and touch in the name of Jesus, it is life for us. It's life for us. Too many churches die on the vine because they stop loving and they stop showing compassion. Compassion is ministry in motion. Compassion is selfless and not selfish. Compassion means you've got to not look on me, but look on them. The tendency in churches, and you know this, the tendency in churches, shoot, the tendency of the world, even the Christian world, is what about me? What about me? What about me? Compassion says, I don't matter. You do, they do. Compassion is selfless and not selfish. And lastly, compassion is when we are most like Jesus. Think about it. Compassion is most like Jesus. And when we are most like Jesus, it grabs the world's attention. It grabs the world's attention. Okay, so... Before we launch into how Jesus demonstrated this, I think we should talk to James. Now, James would have been the younger brother of Jesus, half-brother. Jesus had a different father. (laughs) James had Joseph and Mary, and Jesus had Mary and God Almighty. But they were half-brothers. And you've got to understand that James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. James did not believe. In fact, may I be candid with you, James thought Jesus was crazy. He would grunt. He's crazy. He's out of his, I think the way the Bible puts it, he's out of his mind. And then Jesus did something like rise from the dead. <laughs> if you want to get somebody's attention, you're dead and you're alive. And what do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you what James did. He changed his life. He understood all of a sudden that his half-brother, his big half-brother, was more than just a really good guy. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And James changed. And James was a devoted Jew. He would have been one of the guys that really believed the most important thing is that, that you obey the law. He was a good Jew. But you see a different message from James. Because James was changed, and James began understanding what compassion was all about. So here's James, the half-brother of Jesus, and here's what he says. He says in verse, or chapter 2, verse number 12, Speak and act. Speak and act. Speak and act. Speak and act. As those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. We are to, as people who have experienced the freedom of the gospel, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And later he said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So as ones who have experienced grace and forgiveness and love and freedom, he says we are to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. In other words, we're going to have a larger accountability in the area of compassion and love because we've experienced those. And what you experience, you're to share. What you get, you are to give. Huge, guys. Huge. 
So speak and act as one who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Judgment is without mercy for the one who does not show mercy. I'm not sure what all that means. But I do know this. That I will stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And I will give an account of my life. My salvation is not on the docket. But an accountability for my life and my action here is... We all think the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a pat on the head. Here's your crown. Go play in heaven. There's going to be an accountability time. I'm going to have to give an account as a pastor and how I led this church. And each one of us will give an account of how we live our lives. Again, our salvation is on the docket. But our rewards are. Our rewards are. And so, so he says, now listen, judgment is not mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. You know, God, if we experience mercy, God expects us to show mercy. If we've experienced compassion, God expects us to show compassion. If we've experienced love, God expects us to show love. That's the deal. And then he says, mercy, James says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah, glad it does. Glad it does. And then he gets personal. He says, uh, So what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? So what good is it if you claim to have faith and you don't have any works? And then he says this, Can such faith save him? Now, he's not preaching you've got to work for your salvation. But he is making a bold statement about faith. If we say we have faith and it's totally unevidenced in our life, that's a big warning. We are a country filled with people who go, I'm a Christian, why are you a Christian? Well, once I turned around in a parking lot at a church. I'm a Christian. When I was two years old, they sprinkled some water on my head. I'm a Christian. When I was three, I prayed a prayer with some pastor. Don't remember any change or anything, but hey. You know, unevidenced faith is a dangerous thing. And he says, and he says you know, can this kind of faith save? Can, can, a, can a faith that is unevidenced by any change, any action in our lives be genuine? I remember when Windows used to, and I, I imagine they still do, you go buy a box of software and they'd have this holographic emblem on it that says, Genuine Windows. Because there are so many fakes out there, they had to have a way to certify that something was genuine. Well, works do not save you. Works plays no deal in salvation. But it's a great evidence of what God is doing in your life. It's a great evidence for what God is doing in your life. So he goes on, verse 15. So, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food. So we see a need. We see an opportunity to show compassion. Now, isn't it interesting that James, being a really good Jew, this was not on his radar before Jesus. Keep the law, do the synagogue thing, that was. The Jews were famous in that period not to be very compassionate. Isn't it unusual that the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, uses a compassion illustration to talk about faith? How interesting is that? 
So if a brother or sister is without food or clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says, says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. But you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? A compassion that talks only is not compassion. What is it, Dwayne? Empty words. Empty words. Empty words. Let me read it again. So, if one of you says to them, this person without food or clothing, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, he says... Faith, if it have not works, is dead by itself. So unevidenced faith is a dead faith. When Jesus touches your life, it's going to change you. And it's not going to make you religious. It's going to make you compassionate. It's going to make you see people differently. That's what it's going to do. Well, thanks, James. That helps. It's hard but it helps. Now, let's go back to Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, and let's see how he does this compassion thing. Okay? It's very interesting. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 18, so right above where we started at, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, okay, here's Jesus talking. So as he was telling these things, as he was talking with the people, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him. Now, now again, Matthew gives us the abbreviated story. If you want the longer story, you can look in Mark. It gives a little bit more detail. But the bottom line is, one of these leaders, he's a leader in the synagogue. He would be like, well, more than the chairman of the deacons, and probably a pastor would be a pretty good illustration. Okay, And, the lo- and keep in mind, the synagogue was the local church. And I mean it literally. In the Jewish society, neighborhoods would have synagogues. And there would be a leader, multiple leaders actually, in that synagogue. Well, this was one of the leaders of the local synagogue. And he comes down this, and he'd be very well respected in his community, in his neighborhood. He comes and he kneels down in front of Jesus, okay? And, and here's what he says. My daughter, and, and we learn from Mark, it's his only daughter. And we also learn he was, she was 12 years old. Okay, those are little details. My daughter... Just died. Now, now again, Mark puts it this way. In Mark's gospel, it's, he shows up and says, my daughter is dying. And before they can get there, she dies. So I think Matthew's just saying she's as good as dead. Okay? So my daughter just died. But, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, this is like pregnant with meaning. Okay? First off, notice this. Notice this. Normally, a leader of the synagogue would not come to Jesus. What brought him to kneel at Jesus? Tragedy. There's going to be a lot of people in our community, and David said it. This this fire did not just impact a family. It impacted our community. This fire did not just impact a few students. It impacted a school full of students. And you mark it down in tragedy, often there's opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are opportunities to share 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this leader of the synagogue who probably would not have given Jesus time of day comes and kneels and says, hey, my daughter just died. But watch this. Look, look, look. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, you know what's really interesting about this? Okay. There are several things in the Old Testament that would make you unclean. A big one was touching a dead body. Now, the synagogue leader knew that. But what does he ask Jesus to do? My daughter is dead, and I want you to come and touch her dead body. The synagogue leader who who tried to follow the rules and the laws is saying, I want you to do something that will make you unclean. I want you to come and touch. You want to know why? Because mercy trumps judgment. The most important thing was his daughter coming back to life, even if it meant this rabbi becoming unclean. Do whatever it takes, he's saying. Whatever it takes. How often do you see people? We saw it in Africa. People were so hungry for the gospel. I'll do. Ryan had a girl, a woman fall down. Please save me, pastor. There was a hunger for salvation. Tragedy often creates a hunger for salvation. Do whatever it takes, he's saying. Come and touch my daughter and she will live. So what did Jesus do? Verse 19. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. How about that? Compassion is love in action. Jesus could have said, feel sorry for you, bud. Difficult situation. I understand. You know, got a full schedule. Pastor, was it Pastor Rick last week in the skit? You know, I'm eating supper. <laughs> Been a long day, you know. Can we talk later? Not Jesus. Whatever it was he was doing, he stopped it, and he got up and followed. Compassion is risky. Compassion is costly. Compassion means rearranging your schedule. Compassion means doing whatever it takes. And that's what Jesus did. Now, real quickly, along the journey, again, Matthew gives us the short version. And looking at the clock, you can be grateful for that. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, the following verse, just then, as they get up to leave to go to lay hands on this dead girl, just then, a woman, a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Whoa. Now, first off... (laughs) Women didn't touch men. Very uncool. Very uncool. But this woman touches Jesus. It gets worse. Because she has been bleeding. And you can probably imagine what that means. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She was... She was so unclean that if she had to be put in a washing machine to get clean, she would need the heavy-duty cycle. She was really unclean. By Scripture, so unclean. Twelve years of impurity. She was, she, was, she was unclean. She was religiously unclean. Could not go to church. Sorry, we don't welcome your kind here. You'll have to go somewhere else. We don't want unclean people here. And socially, she was unclean. No man was ever going to marry her. No man was ever going to date her. She was unclean. 
And she reaches out and she touches the hem. And she says, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Now, this is cool, I think, because the, the synagogue leader says, come and touch my daughter. And this woman says, I need to touch him. Compassion involves this touchy thing. Compassion involves touching things. Well, she touches the hem of his garment. By the way, it's really cool. The Jews would have their tassel things on the end of the robes, and that was a symbol of their spirituality. It was a thing the Jews did. Just notice that she touched that. I thought that was rather interesting. Well, in verse 22, so Jesus turned and saw her. And again, Mark gives the longer story. But Jesus turned around and saw her and says, Have courage, daughter. Not like, Dudette, what are you doing? <laughs> women don't touch men. And unclean women don't touch rabbis. No. He says, Have courage, daughter. Notice the relationship thing. Daughter. Your faith has, made, has saved you, and the woman was made well from that moment. I like this. You know, I can say without stretching the truth, she got more than she bargained for. You know, uh, that's what's cool. Let me tell you what's cool about Jesus. You always get more than you bargained for. <laughs> you know, have, you ever gone to, have you ever been to a restaurant before, Tracy, and you know, you're kind of hungry, and, and you order the burger and the fries? You know, this happens all the time with her. And so, so, so we go to the burger place, you know, and we get a burger and fries, and they bring the two plates. And it's like the waitress looks at the two plates and picks the one the least French fries and gives them to me. No, I'm telling you, it really happens. She, I can just see them every time they look at the plate and going, okay, he needs the fewer French fries. <laughs> and, and not too long ago, we swapped plates. I said, I want the more French fries. Isn't it great with Jesus? You always get more than you bargain for. Your plate's always overflowing with french fries. And what I'm trying to tell you is, physically, now listen, this is not, I'm not stretching it. Physically, she was healed. And spiritually, she was resurrected. She was dead spiritually, and because of the power, her faith and the power of Christ, she not only was healed physically, she was healed, resurrected spiritually. She was made whole physically, and she was made whole spiritually. Shoot that thing. Shoot. Now, come on now. That's what I'm telling you, folks. This Jesus is not some lackey savior. He is the king of the world, the savior of the world, and he can make a difference in this wretched world that we live in. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that. Well, so anyway, so he touched her now. But, you know, the dad's over here going, I know she's dead, Jesus, but, you know, you know, Jesus, the Jews believe the spirit hung around the body for a certain amount of time. And for him, probably the clock is ticking. Once the spirit left, there was no hope. Well, in verse 23, keeping going on Matthew chapter 9. So when Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd laminating loudly. They were mourning loudly. I like this. Leave, he said, because the girl is not dead but asleep. Your, uh, your presence here is inappropriate because you're here 
to mourn someone who's dead. But she's not dead because I'm going to make her alive. You know, it's fine. I, I've been to the hospital when Reeds or Wark shows up, you know, and they come pick up the bodies of a loved one. Been there, seen them do that hundreds of times perhaps over, thir- over 18 years. But you know what? If Reed showed up at my birthday party, I'm going to go leave, dude. I mean, I may be turning 65 next year, but leave, dude, because your presence here is inappropriate. You're welcome when I'm dead, but when I'm alive, you're not. So I love that Jesus says, leave. Leave. Your presence here is not needed because she's not dead. She is asleep. And they laughed. Guess who gets the last laugh? Can you guess? Who got the last laugh at the resurrection of Jesus? You know, Satan was going, ha ha, we got him now. Up from the grave, he arose <laughs> with a mighty power over his foes. Well, verse 25, and the crowd had been put outside. He went in and t- took her by the hand. He touched the untouchable. And that's what compassion does. Touches the untouchable. And when he touches her, the girl gets up. See, compassion touches people. Religion doesn't, but compassion touches people. And yes, compassion is risky. Quick story. I was going to say this for another time, but... You know, as you know, in Africa, I got the flu. And, uh, I mean, I really got the flu, too. Somebody said, did you, do you think you had the flu? I said, think. I know I had the flu. No doubt in my mind. So, anyway, when it came Sunday, I'd been well about three days. Or, you know, I still had symptoms, but I was able to get up. And we made a decision for to go to the islands, you know. And I even asked Jesus this question. I said, do you think the team's going to accept me? You know, I was worried about being accepted. And, um, and I don't even know what she answered. So, we got out to the island. And the team was afraid. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. But they were afraid because they were afraid I might infect them. So I was worried that I might not be accepted. And they were worried that I might infect them. I need to tell you something. There's a world out there and some of them do not come to church because they wonder if we're going to accept them. And some of us are worried about, well, they infect us. Your type is just not welcome in our church. You're welcome to go to the bar. And you can go and sleep on a street corner. But don't, you can't come to our church. Wrong. 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 We've got to get the word out. Sinners are welcome at Doorsville Baptist Church. Sinners are welcome at Doorsville Baptist Church. And that infection thing about where they'll affect us, get them saved, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> we'll preach the gospel and God will change their lives. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what we're about. It's risky. It's risky. But that's what we're about is Jesus. So... He went and took the girl by the hand. The girl got up. And news of the, you can imagine, news of this spread throughout the whole area. I reckon it did. I reckon it did. All right, real quick. Let's, so, let's put a bow on this puppy. 
All right? Now, Matthew 9, 36. We started out, remember, at 9, 35. Now we're at 9, 36. And here's how it all pans out. So, Jesus now, after 9, 9, 35. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion. Pause. When you truly see the crowd, you will truly have compassion. When you see that homeless person on the street, okay, when you see the homeless person on the street, you've got to see them as someone Jesus died for. When you see the hungry person, you've got to see them as someone Jesus died for. When you see the wealthiest guy in town that has all the toys, and you think he says, he doesn't need God, he doesn't want God, you've got to see him as a person that Jesus died for. You know, I love the team. When they got over there, they saw these kids, and they just poured mercy and compassion on them. But here's my message today. You know what? We need to pour out compassion in Africa. We need to pour out compassion in Nicaragua. But we need to pour out compassion in Harrisburg. In Harrisburg. In Harrisburg. There's, yeah, there's lost and hurting people right here. They're not just little naked kids running around in Africa. They need compassion. They're not little naked kids running around in Nicaragua. They need compassion. But why do we think we need a different compassion for those in America? Because they have a cell phone? Because they buy cigarettes instead of food? I believe Jesus would say, I died for them. And they need our compassion. Yes, we've got to have safety. I know all that. But we should be a people of compassion. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. They are our families. They're our friends. They're our neighbors. They're our world. And here's what he said. He said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant. There's a great need for compassion in the world today around us. Around us. The harvest is abundant and the workers are few. This, this compassion thing is hard. Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you something really important at the beginning. I wrestle with it. If I, know if I know there's like a real genuine need, I got mercy genes oozing out of me. But I've become so skeptical in America, I have to fight to be compassionate. Can I just be honest with you? No excuse. No excuse. The harvest is abundant, and the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in his harvest. And here's the cool part. We get to pray the prayer and we get to answer the prayer. Ever thought about it? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out workers into the harvest. We are the ones who pray the prayer and we are the ones who answer the prayer. In Isaiah chapter 6, Who will go for me? God cried out. And Isaiah said, I guess that would be me. So whether we're mercy type people or maybe we're kind of slacking in the mercy genes, because of Christ and the difference he makes, all of us can be agents of compassion. All of us can impact our world in the same way that Jesus impacted his world. It's huge. It's not an alternative ingredient. It is the essential 
ingredient. May we leave today committed and determined to be a people of compassion. And I'm going to give you a chance. Today was the day you're supposed to bring canned goods. And man, we got more today than we have any ever Sunday. It's called Super Sunday. S-O-U-P-E-R Sunday. And I'm going to do something we don't normally do and really didn't get permission to do. I like to, in case, we're going to call this the I Forgot offering. In case you forgot to bring canned goods, I'm going to give you the chance today to have a part. I'm going to have to, I've asked Bill to put a couple of ushers at the back door. Don't need to throw in a $100 bill. Throw in five, one, three. And what we'll do is we'll take that money and we'll do one of two things. We're going to get the four C's regardless. But we'll get the four C's and say, we want this to buy food. Don't want to pay somebody's salary with it. Don't want to pay the electric bill with it. We want to feed hungry people. And secondly, if they say, well, we can't do that, we'll go to Aldi's and buy them out. You don't have a part in that? It's a chance to show compassion. So, again, if you brought canned goods today, that's fine. And if you don't want to, that's fine. But it's an opportunity to be a part of a compassionate act today. We'll call it the Oops, I Forgot offering. And they'll be at both doors at the back. And we'll make sure that money goes to show compassion. To show compassion. Would you bow your heads, please? Okay, so. Today's time of decision. You heard enough of the gospel today to understand that everyone has sinned. Because we're sinning, we're separated from God. And God made it possible that every man, woman, and child could come and have a relationship with him through the Son, Jesus Christ. If that's something you've not done, we want to give you the opportunity. i got some friends down here, and we'll show you exactly what the Bible says about how you can come to a relationship with the Creator God of the universe. I love that song that we sang about, about earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Oh, wanderer, come home. It's not too far. Lay down your hurt. Lay down your pain. Come as you are. So I'll be standing down front. And if you want to know more about trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'll be glad to share with you. I have some friends who will do that uh, with you. Maybe you talk about joining our church, and maybe today it finally got to your heart and said, you know what? This is the kind of church I want to be officially a part of. And you're like, no, about joining our church. We want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you've trusted Christ, but you've never been baptized. We want to give you that opportunity. I know one young man who trusted Christ this week, and he'll be coming forward to let you know about that. We're excited about that. And if you just need to come pray, we've got some prayer warriors who'll be glad to pray with you. Maybe you need to say, God, I need for you to ignite my mercy genes, my compassion genes, because they're weak. And he will do exactly that. Hey, God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing your word today. Oh, Father, Make it crystal clear to us. Put a driving passion in our heart to be compassionate in Christ's name for the purpose of building the kingdom of God. Not just to feed people, not just to clothe people, but to demonstrate your love for them. Holy Spirit, everything that happens right now will have to come through you. So I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you'll grab and speak to hearts. And we promise to give you the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' name.